Notice anything different? That's right. No ad. Which means this space is available. So if you have a company or brand or product or anything really that you'd love to promote on 30 Pop, this is your chance. Just shoot me an email at the link in the show notes and I'll give you all the relevant details. Now, on to 30 Pop. Aaron, it's Luke. Oh, hey, Luke. Hey, man. I don't know if you're aware. We've got Trivia Night again this week. I know you keep bailing, even though it's all online right now, and you could play. I know. I wanted to give you a little sample of what it's going to be like and let you sort of help model for folks what to expect this week. Awesome. Okay, so I'm going to give you one question. I want you to identify the movie that this line came from. Does Barry Manilow know that you raid his wardrobe? Does Barry Manilow know that you read his wardrobe? This is so familiar to me. Oh, is it Uncle Buck? It's Breakfast Club. Come on. Oh, frick. I know I've seen it recently and I could not. Here, I'll give you an easy one. Okay, tell me the actor who said this. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around oh. once in a while, you could miss it. Matthew Broderick. Matthew Broderick. Thank Easy. you. Now, now, if I had said what movie, you would tell me the movie. If I said what character, you would tell yeah. me Ferris Bueller. Yeah. Okay. So you get it. Yes. That's what yes. you can expect Love from it. trivia this week if you don't bail again. When is it? Tell me the deets. Wednesday night, August 5th, 6.30 Central Time. We'll hop on a Zoom call. 7 o'clock, the game will begin. You know what? That's my birthday. Oh, God. <laughs> okay. 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 Happy birthday then. <laughs> this is 38 39 38 i'll be 38 38 wow i know all right man well that's all i got for you okay well i appreciate it that was fun <laughs> see ya bye from milieu media group this is 30 pop a weekly peek back at the music movies sports fashion politics and news from 30 years ago i'm your host luke braun this is season two episode 31 Wanted Men and a Fairy Tale Beginning. Today we're looking back at the week that ended Saturday, August 4th, 1990. Hello friends and welcome once again to the closest thing I've found to an actual time machine. It is such a joy, as always, to have you with me as we venture back in our memories to a time when things seemed a little, I don't know, lighter? A time when, at least for me, the greatest concerns of the day were whether or not I'd end up in the same fifth grade class as my elementary school crush. Hi, Tiffany. Or how to convince my mom to let me put a $20 cassette player on layaway at Walmart. Good news, I did end up in her class, and I did put that cassette player on layaway. And one tape I know for a fact that I listened to constantly on that cassette player was MC Hammer's massive beyond words, Please Hammer, Don't Hurt Him, which as you should know well by now, was still the number one album in the country at this point in 1990. Hammer had been in that top spot for nine of the last ten weeks, and he still had 13 weeks to go before a certain white rapper would replace him with another album I wore out on that Walmart cassette player. But there'll be plenty of time for that later in the year. The only other one of our Billboard charts that didn't change this week in 1990 was the Hot Rap Chart where the West Coast rap all-stars were still holding strong at number one with their anti-violence anthem, We're All in the Same Gang, which gets stuck in my head every single time I mention it on this show. I seriously love that song so much. 
The hot country chart saw a return from a previous 1990 chart topper this week in Dan Seals with his song Good Times, which I just realized gets the theme song to Good Times stuck in my head every single time I mention it on this show. Seals was the second of five artists in 1990 to have two number one singles on the hot country chart. The first one was Clint Black with his singles Nobody's Home and Walking Away. Seals had a three-week run at number one back in April and May with his Love on Arrival. Good Times claimed the title after a three-week run by Garth Brooks, who we've definitely not seen the last of. Apologies to my fifth-grade teacher, Mr. Tedley, for ending that last sentence with a preposition. I was especially uninterested in country music 30 years ago, as I've mentioned before on the show, although a lot of those older songs are nostalgic for me today. Dan Seals is interesting, though. I couldn't have told you his name before a few months ago, and his song titles are entirely unfamiliar to me. But when I go search for his singles, they do always ring a bell. It's interesting, though, because it feels to me like he was trying to take country music in a very different direction than were his contemporaries. Other big names at the time, like Black, Brooks, and George Strait, still had certain similarities to one another. Dan Seals, though, had sax solos, Hammond B3 organs, lower third harmonies, and at least in the case of this song, almost black gospel-esque melodies, but still sung with a very white country elocution. Can't decide if I love it or hate it, but definitely one of the two. The new top song on the hot R&B and hip-hop chart for just this one week was After Seven's Can't Stop, which I know for sure I love. This was After Seven's second number one single of the year as well, after a two-week run back in April with their song Ready or Not. As a reminder, After Seven was a new Jack-slash-R&B trio made up in part by two of Kenny Babyface Edmonds' older brothers, Melvin and Kevin Edmonds, and while they never had quite the success of Babyface, they were also really good. Lastly, the new number one single on the Hot 100 chart for the first of four weeks, a tie for the longest run we'll see on that chart in 1990, was the debut single from a young up-and-comer by the name of Mariah Carey. The song, the platinum-selling, Grammy-winning Vision of Love, co-written by Carey. The story of the success of this song and how this album came to be, in case you've never heard it, is a bit of a music business fairy tale. And I'll share it now in a brand new segment called Storytime. Once upon a time, long ago, in 1988, a curly-haired 18- or 19-year-old princess named Mariah, the daughter of a former opera singer and vocal coach, Queen Patricia, and an aeronautical engineer and absentee father named King Alfred, moved out of the Queen's Palace in the magical land of Long Island, New York, and into a tiny little apartment in the nearby kingdom of Manhattan. She took with her the innocence of youth, the dream of a career as a singer like her mother, the queen before her, and her only real possession in the world, a demo tape she'd recorded of four songs co-written with her high school friend, Prince Ben. For months, the princess toiled away at a number of meaningless menial jobs while writing new songs with Prince Ben and looking for some sort of opportunity, wandering through the dark and scary music business forest. After some time, her enchanting voice was heard and unique talent recognized by a woman for whom she'd begun singing background vocals. A woman who'd soon become sort of like a fairy godmother to young Mariah. Brenda K. Starr. One evening, Miss Starr invited Princess Mariah to accompany her to a record industry ball of sorts. As the evening unfolded, somehow young Mariah's prized demo tape slipped into the hands of the great king of a mighty kingdom called Sony Music. King Tommy Matola. The king left the ball in his stretched carriage, and a discouraged Mariah made her way back to her tiny apartment. 
But no sooner had she left the ball than King Tommy came bursting back through the doors in search of her, having listened to her demo on the ride back to his kingdom and forced his chauffeur to turn around. The king spent weeks searching for the princess. Two weeks, actually. Before finding her, offering her a recording contract, spending millions of dollars to surround her with the greatest musicians and songwriters in the land, and spreading her music to kingdoms far and wide. Eventually, the king married the princess, making her his queen. And the two lived happily ever after. Until they separated and divorced a few years later and things got weird. The end. So anyway, yeah. Vision of Love was Mariah's first single and it was number one on the Hot 100 chart 30 years ago this week. Moving on. The number one film in the country this week in 1990 for the second time following a one-week hiatus was Demi Moore, Patrick Swayze, and Whoopi Goldberg's Ghost which I loved, but will once again defer discussing on the show for a couple more weeks. Fear not, we will come back to it. There were a few new releases in theaters 30 years ago this week, one which I was probably supposed to like as a 10-year-old but never cared to see, one which I loved, although I have no idea why I was allowed to see it, and one which I only vaguely remember hearing about and didn't see until recently, but which I really loved. We'll go in that order. First, the one I've never seen nor cared to see. The ancient pyramid of Kalibaba, where a fabulous treasure has lay hidden for centuries. A treasure sought by a ruthless sorcerer. A treasure whose incredible mysteries are about to be uncovered. Jumpstart my heart! By six daring adventurers. I finally found it! But finding the fortune is only the beginning. <laughs> of a powerful secret. That will lead to unbelievable magic. I wish for the treasure of Kali Baba. Give it to me. That will become one unforgettable adventure. I'd sure like to know where this leads. It's your favorite DuckTales friends in their first full-length big-screen motion picture. A story filled with excitement. Danger. Surprises. Is there a doctor in the pyramid? And fun. It's easy for you to say. It's a movie so big, so special, so exciting. No TV can hold it. DuckTales the movie. Treasure of the Lost Lamp. I don't know. I was only 10 years old, but I felt way too old for cartoon movies that weren't Roger Rabbit, I guess. DuckTales never interested me, the movie or the TV show. I just didn't care. I did care deeply, for whatever reason, about the myth surrounding William H. Bonney, better known as Billy the Kid. I was pretty obsessed with him throughout fifth grade, largely because of this sequel and its predecessor. It is therefore considered by the court that William H. Bonney be hanged till he be dead, dead, Dead. You can go to hell, hell, hell. <laughs> when I start it, amigos. You're not dead. Do I look dead? <laughs> the entire country is reading about our territory every day in the journals. Should we give them a proper burial? And they're not reading about our growth towards statehood. I never stole a horse from someone I didn't like. Yeah, he just kill him. What they are reading about is a 21-year-old delinquent. What scum? Who is making us look like imbeciles. Politicians, bankers, cattle kings, scum. I got 18 dimes in each barrel, boy. 
You're starting to believe what they're writing about you, aren't you? Oh, Bob! You wrote a 15-year-old boy straight into his grave. Goodbye, Bob. Best dollar eighty I ever spent. <laughs> and the rest of us, straight to hell. I don't take to tenderfoots in my gang. It ain't your gang, Dave. Let's hire a thief. Thousand dollars, Mr. Garrett. To catch one. And all the resources you need to carry out the extermination. Just playing the game, Doc. F1 William H. Bonnie. Even their horses are crazy. We'll give them a game, Lauren. They're starting to surround us. We gotta get out of here. Dave! It's your gang. What? It ain't my gang, it's your gang. It's always been your gang. Emilio Estevez, Kiefer Sutherland, Lou Diamond Phillips, Christian Slater, Balthazar Getty, Alan Ruck, James Coburn, and William Peterson as Pat Garrett. Yoo-hoo. I'll make you famous. Young Guns 2. I loved this movie. I wasn't typically allowed to watch this sort of thing as a kid, but for whatever reason, I have a distinct memory of my dad taking my older brother and me to see it in theaters. I have to assume my sweet mom was at home reading her Bible or watching something on Lifetime, as Turner Classic Movies and the Hallmark Channel wouldn't launch for another couple years. Although it was only rated PG-13, so maybe she joined us. I don't know. All I remember is that, as I said, I loved it. Lastly, the movie I've only recently seen and that I'm positive I couldn't have appreciated or enjoyed as a kid the trailer for which was just too long to share here, was Spike Lee's fourth film, starring Academy Award winner Denzel Washington and another hero of my youth, Wesley Snipes. The jazz-soaked, romantically complicated musical drama that's inexplicably listed on Wikipedia as a comedy, Mo Betta Blues. I understand that he's a controversial personality and problematic for some for a variety of reasons, but I can't imagine there being many better filmmakers in the history of cinema than Spike Lee. This movie suffered a bit critically as his first release after his highly acclaimed Do the Right Thing in 1989. But to watch it 30 years later, out from under the massive shadow cast by that cinematic masterwork, Mo Better Blues is a really well-written, directed, and acted movie. Truly. It's excellent. Probably not one to watch with your kids or my mom, but excellent nonetheless. And as of this recording, it's available to watch for free on NBC's new streaming app, Peacock, which they did not pay me to tell you. I've included that trailer and the trailers from all these movies, as well as the music videos for the songs at the top of the Billboard charts I mentioned earlier in the show notes for this episode. Now, before I sign off for the week, a quick reminder to be sure and register now for our upcoming 30 Pop Trivia Night, Wednesday night, August 5th at 6.30pm. Our theme, lines, lyrics, logos, and slogans. You can register at 30poptrivia.com and hop on the Zoom call linked in the show notes at 6.30 Central Time Wednesday night. I promise you, as I always do, it's going to be really fun. All right, friends. Thanks, as always, for listening. I'll be back for episode 32. For now, just know this. I was born yesterday, but I stayed up all night. 30 Pop is produced, edited, and mixed by me, Luke Bronner. Our artwork is by the amazing Heather Hale. To check out more shows from Mill U Media Group, visit millumedia.com, which is linked in the show notes for this episode. And if you have a story from 1990 that you want to share on the air, email 30poppodcast at gmail.com. <laughs>